We're glad you could join us today. We're still in this series of Listen, Learn, and Live for the Father. Uh, today we want to talk about a very important part of that, what that means in terms of our lives. So let me start by telling you a little bit about the educational system in Israel at the time of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus would have been born, it would have been pra a common practice for kids to go to school about age six. It was called Bet Sefer was the name of the, name of the educational system, not the name of the school, and it meant the house of the book. And at that time, they would learn the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, and they would memorize every word in all those books. And for the kids who weren't very good students, they would there be there at age 10, by the way, and for the kids who weren't very good students, they were sent home, and they would learn the trade of their parents, uh, particularly the boys with their fathers. And then for the kids that were kind of sharp and kind of bright, they went to the next level of education, which was called Bet Talmud, which was called the House of Learning. And in Bet Talmud, they would be there from age 10 to 14. Now, this is amazing when you think of it. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, and they would memorize every word of every one of them and could quote the entire Old Testament by the time they were age 14. Uh, for those who were still really good and could make it even beyond in further education, they went on and they would study under a rabbi. They would become a Talmidim, which is a, a name for a student or a disciple. And they went to an educational system called Bet Midrash, or the House of Study. And if they would be there long enough, then they would actually, by the time they were 30, they would become rabbis in themselves. The kids who couldn't get beyond, they couldn't get to the, all of the books of the Old Testament, they went home and learned the trade of their father, the trade of their parents. It's interesting to me that you become a rabbi in Israel at that time, about age 30. And that's when Jesus started his ministry, was around age 30. Some people think, some scholars think, that maybe that was because there's no picture of Joseph after Jesus was a young boy in the temple. So they think that maybe that, that Jesus, as the older son, looked after the children of Mary until such time as, as uh, they were able to be on their own because Joseph had passed off the scene by that time. We don't know that. That's just speculation. But I do think there may be something in the fact that if Jesus was going to have credibility, he would be 30 when he would start his public ministry because that's what happened with other rabbis and people would have considered him to be a rabbi or a teacher. Uh, we'll come back to that later. I want to go back to the verse that's kind of been a theme for all of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so we're talking about this wonderful fact that we are the children of God. More than that, I'm a child of God and you are a child of God. And for everyone who's a child of God, God has a plan for our lives to take us deeper in Him, to take us richer, further if you like. And what He really wants to say to us, I believe in the Word over and over again, is I want you to be a believer. I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith in me. But along with that, I want you to be a follower of mine. I want you to give your life to follow after me. And there's all kinds of scriptures about that. Let me just share a few of them with you. In John 8 and 12, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He goes on in John in chapter 10 and says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. In Mark chapter 8, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
And Luke writes exactly the same words, but he adds the word, and in Luke chapter 9 he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And John, again, in chapter 12 says, whoever follows, serves me, must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it's an invitation to be like him. It's an invitation to to serve him. It's an invitation to surrender our lives to him. It's an invitation to be everything that he would want us to be. So I got thinking about all of that, and I went through the scriptures, and I discovered in the scriptures there's at least five followers that Jesus directly addresses and talks to. Uh, One of them we would know very well in, in, in the story is told in Mark chapter 10 of a man who's very rich, a young man. He's very rich, very well to do. And he comes to Jesus and says, what do I do to get eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and sees his heart. I don't think God is actually against money particularly at all in this story. It's just the fact that that's what's his God. That was the thing that would keep him from the best of God. And so he says to the young man, you're very rich. Take all that you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And uh, he just couldn't do that. He just wasn't prepared to do that. And so he, he turned away. If we turn to Luke's gospel, these are the three I want to talk about a little bit, and then one more finally after that. In Luke chapter 9, we read about three different kinds of followers all together. So let me just read the text to you. It says, as we were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes of holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So let's look at these three kinds of followers. The first one is kind of an emotional, unthinking follower. Jesus didn't ask this person to follow him. He was a volunteer. We don't, we don't really know what he saw in Jesus. We don't know what it was in the life of Jesus that attracted him. Maybe it was the miracles. Maybe it was the feeding of 5,000 people. We don't, we don't really know. But we do know that whatever it was about Jesus that attracted him, he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus sees what's in him and in us. He knows how we're made. He knows how we think. And he recognized the problem in this man instantly. He knew that this man wanted to follow him, but for the wrong reasons, without an understanding of what it was going to be like. So he talks to him about having no place to lay his head, and the foxes of holes, and the birds of nests, but the Son of Man, there's no guarantee that where you're going to sleep tomorrow, there's no guarantee how much you're going to eat tomorrow, because the young man had not really thought through what that meant. He was caught up in the glory, if you like, or the honor, or even the miracles of Jesus, but not the understanding of self-denial or sacrifice, or service, or maybe even suffering. What Jesus is really saying to him is this. Before you decide to follow me, before you volunteer, count the cost. Like, understand there is a cost. Now, you and I both know that the privilege of knowing Jesus is amazing, and that's free, and the love of God is free. But the more we serve him, the greater we give our lives to him, the more we want to be as truly his child, there is a cost to that because we die to self and we live to God and we become everything he would want us to be. And so this young man doesn't do that. Now, we're never told 
in the scripture if he becomes a follower of Jesus or not. But there's a principle here. I have a friend that used to say, if you give all of you to get all of him, you could only gain. And that's the principle here, that there is a cost, that we give ourselves, and we give all of us to get all of him, we actually gain. And so we don't know if this man followed through with that or not. The next person in Luke's story is somebody that Jesus actually identifies. Now in this case, we don't know what Jesus saw in him. Jesus actually invites him to come and be a follower. And he has an interesting answer. He said, well, I'd be glad to do that, but let me go and bury my father first. Now, the interesting thing of this story is his father hasn't died yet. There's no evidence of him having died. There's no evidence of him even being sick. And, and Jesus says, well, let the dead bury, their own, bury the dead. But see, he's not saying go, go back and kill your father so that you could actually come up. He's not saying any of that. Jesus actually cared about people's home life, and that's why on the cross he made sure that his mother Mary had a place to live for the rest of her life. The the point here with Jesus is simply this, that Jesus speaks right to his motive. Even though Jesus saw something in him, he saw something in him that really, really mattered. The truth of the matter is that this person had his own agenda, was not willing to surrender to Jesus at all, even though he had been invited. And he just absolutely missed an opportunity that may never happen again. And the truth is, for all of us, there's sometimes those moments when Jesus says something special to us or unique to us. And I call those a now moment. This is a now moment for you to respond. A now moment when you say, yes, God, I'm I'm yours. I've had lots of those in my life, and you probably have as well, where God speaks to us and he just says, I want you something now. I want you to do it now. And so this man turned down the now. We don't know how long it was his dad lived. We have no idea. We also don't know if he ever followed Jesus either. The other person in this story of Luke is the sort of other priority follower, and this person was also a volunteer. He again saw something in Jesus, and he comes running to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to do that. And he said, but first, (laughs) let me go home and say goodbye to my family. Now, that's not a terrible thing, because again, Jesus loves family. Family was invented by him. That's not a bad thing at all. The danger was that he would go home, and he would forget his commitment to Jesus. He would go home and get involved in the affairs of life. He would, you know, he would get a job and buy a car, not in those days, but he would get a family, have a wife and children, and, and as good as his intentions were, he would get distracted. He would be easily persuaded and so that Jesus would not be a priority. Another friend once said, to follow Jesus does not take much of a person, but it takes all of them there is. And this person missed that. So I'm glad Jesus doesn't stop there. So far we've got four illustrations of not really good followers, people who didn't do it very well. But there comes another moment early in the ministry of Jesus, and I'll read it to you from Matthew. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, They were casting it down to the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called to them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. When Jesus starts his ministry, he wants to invest himself in a group of people that will be able to carry on the message of the kingdom 
because he knows that he's come to live and die and be risen, rise again and to give his life a ransom for many. So he knows that he has to build this kingdom and has to invest it in people so that they'll become the messengers of the kingdom when he's gone. And I find it so intriguing that when Jesus comes to these people, these four fishermen, uh, that they, two sets of brothers, that they instantly leave their livelihood, leave what they're doing, leave their fishing as they followed, they followed him. Did you notice what they were doing? They were fishermen. So we don't know if they failed school at the end of age 10. Beth suffered, they dropped out. We don't know if that's when it happened. We don't know if it ended by, ended by the time they were 14 and couldn't take the second level of education and dropped out. Here's what we know. They were not good enough. They were not good enough to complete the educational system of Jesus' day. And that's why they went home and learned the trade of their father. I, I just find something so meaningful in that. I find something so freeing in that, so liberating in that, that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be the best scholars in the room. We don't have to be the brightest kid in the class. We don't have to be the best educated. We don't have to be the handsome or the prettiest, most beautiful. We don't have to be the, we don't have to be the richest. We don't have to have a lot. What he really is looking for is surrendered life. And so Jesus started his ministry and more than that, left his ministry in the hand of people that in that day would have been considered not good enough. In fact, if you look at all the disciples, they had all kinds of weaknesses. Uh, Jesus specialized in calling the not good enoughs. So here's Simon Peter. He was impulsive. James, who's the son of Zebedee, we talked about him already, the brother of John. He was ambitious, short-tempered, judgmental, and a bit fanatical. This is what history tells us about these people. John, who's the brother of James and son of Zebedee again, was ambitious, passionate, sorry, he was anxious to, no, I'll get it right. He was ambitious, passionate, and judgmental, a bit like his brother, not quite as short-tempered. Andrew, who was Peter's brother, was anxious to please and really, really a recluse. He was more than happy to live in the background. Philip had all kinds of questions, not as many as Thomas, but he had a question, are you sure? Is that right? Are you positive? Questioning attitude. Bartholomew, sometimes called Nathaniel, was straightforward and direct. Matthew was a despised outcast. He was a Jew who had become a tax collector and not an honest one at that. Thomas was doubtful and pessimistic. James was the son of Alphaeus, one of the other disciples. He was so quiet, we know nothing about him. He paled and just fades into the background. Thaddeus, the Judas, the son of James, sometimes called Judas, was intense. Absolutely, just, just high-strung, determined. Uh, Simon the Zealot was fiercely patriotic, very much pro-Israel, and incredibly strong-willed. And of course, we all know about Judas. He was treacherous and greedy. Now, these are not the greatest people to work with, folks. They're not great. Jesus had some work to do. But you see, here's the great thing about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus that when he chooses us and when he takes us and he chooses all of us if we're his children, when he chooses us, he actually makes us. He doesn't leave us as we are. And so I wrote this and let me just read it because it's easier to read it and I'll get the words right. The men who were chosen by Jesus to be his immediate companions needed to be made by him. So the fickle became rocks. A lack of spiritual understanding became messengers of the kingdom. The self-centered became servants and leaders and pastors. The ignorant and arrogant became humble and confident at the same time. The culturally bound became spiritually relevant. 
The traditional became a living relationship with a loving Lord, and timidity and uncertainty were replaced by perseverance and courage and boldness. Friends, these first followers, these disciples, didn't get it all right. They didn't understand everything. There are lots of things they didn't understand. In fact, after the death of the resurrection of Jesus, he's before he ascends into heaven, almost the last words they share to each other, that these, these disciples came and said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel again at this time? In other words, are you going to kick the Romans out? And Jesus that's not the kingdom I came to build. I've been teaching you this for three years. And it wasn't until they were filled with the Spirit that they understood the kingdom of God was not on earth, but in the hearts of people who live on earth. They didn't get it always right. They fell, and they needed to be picked up again, and they failed and had to start again. At times, they had a difficult time to understand everything God was doing in them. But they became true followers. They submitted their lives to God. They surrendered to Him. And God took these ordinary fishermen, these not good enoughs, and he took them on a mission and a journey with him, and they changed the world. Today, there's no part of our world where Jesus does not reign in people's lives. There's no part of our world where Christianity is not powerful. It's, it's unbelievable. Probably a third of our world would be considered Christian. Still, after all these years, with all the other religions and everything that goes on, the power of God in people's lives is overwhelmingly amazing. And it started with ordinary people who were not good enough. I don't know what that does for you, but that does a lot for me. I feel not good enough so many times. It's frightening, actually. I just see my weaknesses and my inabilities and the times I've failed and made mistakes. And it keeps coming to me and saying, but I've chosen you. You're my child. And please understand that when you become his child again, he chooses us to be more than a believer. He chooses us to be a follower. Like the disciples of old, we don't have to be perfect. Like the disciples of old, we don't have to get it right all the time. But like the disciples of old, we need to say to Jesus, I am yours. Do whatever you want in me. Do whatever you want through me. And I, I, love, I love how Jesus puts it in, in Matthew he says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will find it. I've been on the road for well over 20 years in various roles in our fellowship and in ministry and um, too, many, too many years probably. And I, for many years, probably more than more than. 20 years, I put 40,000 kilometers a year in my car, some years more than that, just doing ministry, just traveling and trying to encourage people and serve and do anything that God asked of me to do. And in all those years of travel, there's a sign that I've seen, not hundreds of times, but a few times, numbers of times probably. It's usually in a hotel or a restaurant, and the sign says, under new management. Very interesting. And I think as I drive by and see the sign, and especially if I'd actually stopped there before and never stopped again, I think, now I know why that sign is there, because they're actually saying, you know, if you were here before, it wasn't very good, it's better now. If you're here before and the beds were hard and the beds were soft and the towels were thin, it's better now. If you're here before and the food was mediocre and the service was poor, it's better now because it's under new management. And somehow I feel that's what Jesus is saying to us, you and me. The minute we become his child, we come under new management. It's better now. 
Because the King of glory lives in us. Because the God who loves us lives in us. Because the God who wants us to serve him enables us to do that. The God who calls us to surrender helps us give ourselves away to him. And when that happens, we have greater fullness and greater richness. We have a purpose in living. We have significance and value. And the not good enoughs are made into good enough for God. And the good enough people for God do exploits. They actually change the world. They change where they live. They change the people they live among and around. They change the people who are outside the kingdom and invite them in. God invites us today to say like the disciples did, yep, or I'll follow you today. Jesus said, come follow me, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. May that be true of us. May we say to God, whatever it takes, God, whatever you want of me, I will follow you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this simple truth. It's profound in many ways, but so simple. And I pray that you would help each of us truly be followers, to be willing to surrender, to give our lives to you, to come under new management. Help us to understand that it's not enough just to believe, but you want more than that for us. Sounds like more of us or more from us, and there's a truth to that, but it really starts more for us, more investment of your life into us so we can be everything you want us to be to the best of our ability with all of our warts and failures and not good enough moments. We can be better than we are because you make us and continually make us. And God, when we surrender to that, then we truly have value hope, love, significance, presence, peace. All the things all of us are looking for are not found in us, but in Him. And the greater the measure of our surrender to Him is the greater the measure we will have of those things in our lives. And followers make other followers and grow the kingdom. Let it be true of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.